This is Kevin Pascal and you are tuned into the Hidden Run podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, you'll hear me talk with Mary Imaswen. She's the host of the Fintech X podcast. She's also the host of the Knobcast, the podcast by BitNob, the Bitcoin saving app. Mary is also a lawyer and she's a finance person. We talked about finance. We talked about money mindset. We talked about a host of um, trendy stuff like the blockchain, NFTs, the metaverse, and cryptos. We talked about all those things. Also, I'll be recording an AMA episode as my last episode of the year. So if you want to ask me any questions, you can ask me anything. Head over to hintendron.com slash ask and you see an anonymous form there. You could be able to ask me anything at all. Even if it's something you want me to comment on, just fill the form, ask me questions and I would address those things on the podcast. If you have any questions, comment, concerns, don't forget to reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at hintendron. Also, don't forget to share, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, follow my podcast on Spotify, and now, here's my conversation with Mary Imaswen. I'm here with Mary Imaswen. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Yes. So I, I've been talking about doing this podcast, I think since last month and I've delayed because I, 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm grateful I delayed because I'm happy I, de- I delayed because, um, it gave me more time to do my research and find so much, so many new things to talk about with you. So I'm really excited about this talk. We'll be talking about money, finance, crypto, blockchain, and a bunch of other things. So I would leave the floor open for you, Mary, to introduce yourself. Just say anything you want to say about yourself in probably just like a few seconds. Okay. Um, so hi, my name is Mary Victoria Imaswin, and I am a lawyer by profession, um, but I do a lot of things at the same time. Um, but majorly what I talk about is... Um, I talk a lot about money and how you can embody the rich vibe and how um, millennials and Gen Z can start making money by working on their mindset and also putting in the um, strategies that will help them create more money and increase more overflow in their life and business. Um, I'm a podcaster as well. So I have a podcast called The Fintech X, which focuses on um, the fintech experience and also personal finance. And I am also the host of the Knobcast, which is a podcast um, by BitKnob. Um, it's all about simplifying Bitcoin for Africans. And I am the founder of Relish Abundance, which is a newsletter on um, personal finance and just living the rich vibe. Yeah. So something I just found out now, or I think one thing I just discovered from what you were saying is that I did not know about this newsletter. I mean, I know about the other podcasts and I do listen to them once in a while, but I never knew about the newsletter. I'll check that out later. So I, I, I'm interested in what you said about you being a lawyer. So you have a law background and yeah, you I transitioned <laughs> into finance. So what you probably do now is mostly around the finance space. Yeah. Um, so I, do a lot around finance and tech, actually. So when I studied law, um, I picked up a lot of finance related courses, um, in like the legal side of 
some finance related course. Like I did law of banking, uh, law of insurance, capital market law, Islamic law of banking and finance. So I'm like, I like to call myself double qualified because I know both the conventional version of finance and also the Islamic version of finance. So I, I kind of fused those two in. Um, but then when I started like my career as a lawyer, I got more interested in tech and yeah, I guess the finance aspect of tech kind of drew me in. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. It means you've always been maybe, would I, would I use the word obsessed with finance and tech or something? I, I, would you say you're obsessed or you're just really enthusiastic about it? Um, so my family is actually very tech driven. I had my first computer when yeah. I was four years old. Um, Whoa. so yeah, <laughs> so it was my, my dad actually made sure that we were very in tune with, um, technology. Um, so like even before I started at university, I've been working with my dad in his, um, tech company. Um, so I've been into, in it for a very long time. So it's like, it's, it is my life right now. Yeah. So I'm interested in the tech company, your dad's tech company. What company was that? Oh, so it's called, um, narrow gate information technology limited. So we, um, mainly focus on creating databases, setting up, uh, remote monitoring systems, um, so when I started, you know, working closely with my dad, I did a lot of the, um, you know, design. Um, I also handled, you know, uh, administration, which is really interesting. Maybe that's why I'm very into business right now. So handled a bit of administration, yeah. um, taught classes. Like I was just full into it, man. Yeah. All those sound interesting. Yeah. So, um, when do- when when you like finish your university, you studied law. Yeah, did you actually know that you probably would not use this law degree? Oh, that is a or really you- good question. That's a very good question. So when I was in five hundred level, uh, I my project was on um, trying to on determining whether it is possible to have a uniform stock market index. It's uniform Islamic stock market index. So yeah. after I wrote my project, I was like, man, I want to be a fund manager at Lotus Capital, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is a cup back then, like Islamic finance was reigning, um, during that was during Sanusi's time. So I was like literally obsessed yeah. with that f- aspect of finance. Um, so I didn't really see myself as a lawyer that would be, you know, going to court and stuff. Um, but you know, as, as you know, um, situation would have it. I, when I did my NYSC, I was sent to a human rights office. Um, but then it was what really changed everything for me was when I attended my first tech event, which is after Disrupt, um, 2019. Um, I, can, I can't ever forget that day because that was the time I realized that, Hey, I could find a, a place for myself in tech. Um, and back then not not many lawyers were like they never saw themselves as um like they never saw it was possible for them to like set up a career in law and tech um so when i was sitting through like in the conference when i was at the conference and i was listening to the the, the speaker speaking i was like hey this is something i could do this is an area that i could get into um 
because honestly, I wanted to be on the fun side um, because I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly don't see myself like going through papers and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really wanted to do something fun and I loved how laid back and easygoing tech was. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're just very chill. They don't have anything to do because there's a lot of work that goes into tech. But like, yeah, sure. it's not it's not a tense environment like the way, you know, the legal space is like, I mean, that's my perspective. Some people may argue with me, but the legal space can be boring and very intense and pretentious. Sorry, sorry to all lawyers out there. But like, I love the tech space because they're very open. So, so you talked about Islamic finance and it's something I've never, I've never heard before, to be honest. And maybe I should feel guilty about that one. So I've never really heard about fi- um, Islamic finance before. What was it about? Did the Islams have a particular way of accounting for money or their own mindset towards money? Oh, okay. That's a good question. So, um, well, we call it Islamic finance, but, um, according to the rules and regulations around, um, Islamic finance, if allow me to use that word, we actually use the term non-interest financing. So under Islamic law, uh, the use of interest is actually forbidden, right? It's called riba. It's or riba or usury. So interest is forbidden. And with that in mind, a lot of the conventional banking practices or investment practices are contrary to the provisions of the Quran. Um, so as a so because of that, a lot of the, you know, financial practice have to change and be in alignment with the provisions of the Quran. Um, so Islamic law basically is just, or Islamic finance is basically finance, but um, the kind of finance that is in line with the provisions of the Quran and the Hadith as well. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's something new I just learned. And thank you very much for that piece of information. So yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. You've always talked about um, money mindset. And um, there's some, we had one conversation earlier when we first met. We talked about something. You talked about something around dating your money. And something that I found interesting because I, I used to have this close connection with my money before. But I think he just... I, I, I got to a point where I could not just account for my money anymore or I just could not really do my own personal finance in the way I used to do back then when I probably started making money. So what you told me that they really caught my interest and it made me feel guilty in a way that I lost touch with how I used to account for money. So I, I just want you to talk about that, your own mindset towards money and the dating your money philosophy or something. <laughs> okay. So I just really love talking about this aspect of finance because not many people talk about it. Um, so, you know, when it comes to money, we see it more like, oh, it's just a, um, you know, is this, we put it on a pedestal, like, oh, is this very important thing? Without it, I can't do X, Y, Z. Um, and we ha- kind of have like a very toxic relationship with our money. Um, we are happy yeah. when it comes and we are, we are happy when the money comes, but then we absolutely hate it when it's not around or we say oh, wow, ugly yeah. things about money. We say ugly things about money. Like, um, um, we say things like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be rich because if I'm rich, I'll be, 
arrogant or very, I'll treat people badly because all rich people are bad. Um, or we say things like, man, money's a bitch. Um, and we just say really horrible things about money. And then the ironic part about it all is that we say all these things and do all these things. Um, but deep down, we want more money and money's like, yo, why are you so, so fucking toxic? Um, do you want me to stay or do you want me to go? Like, cause I don't, I can't understand your body <laughs> language anymore. So yeah. what I'm, the idea behind dating your money, it, that, so the idea behind dating your money is more like, um, it's more like trying to like, it's just the way you would date a girl, right. Or, you know, date a guy, whoever is listening. Um, you, when you want, when you go on a date with someone or you, kind of you know you're into someone yeah you're like oh man this this guy is fine or this girl is fine um what do you do you sometimes you stalk them you're like oh what is she about what is he about um you yeah. you want to know more about them you are like you think about them 24 7 and it's not like in you don't think about them in a um oh my gosh what are they doing oh what are they with someone else you don't think of them that way you're like oh their hair is just so silky like oh their beautiful eyes oh my gosh i can't believe she looked at me today you know those kind of like stuff um and when you get to know this this person you tend to be closer to it you tend to um create space for that person in your life so it's like oh i want to Every morning you feel like calling the person and checking up on the person. Uh, how are you doing? Have you eaten? You send text messages. They send text messages back. You know, it goes on and on and on. I mean, you you know the drill, you know, when it comes to dating and going out yeah. and stuff. Yeah? yeah. So many of us, what we do in... So if we were to personify money, many of us um, treat money badly. We don't look at our finances. We don't care how much it is. I mean, someone t- once told me that they're afraid to check their um, bank balance. That's like, I'm afraid to like check on my girl or check on my guy. Like, I don't, I'm just so afraid. Like, oh my yeah, gosh, are they, they're probably yeah. going to, they're probably going <laughs> to bite or bark at me. They're going to nag. <laughs> like, so, um, when, when you personify money that way and you're like, oh, I don't want to check my bank account or, oh, money's just so cruel. Or, I mean, they're never, it's never around when I need it. Um, all I see is debit alert. You know, when you say all of that, it, it's like you telling your girlfriend that, oh, you're fat. Um, I don't like the way you look, you know? Yeah. The sex might be nice, but like, mm, you know, I can't see a future with you. Do you get what I mean? So why would that, would such a person want to stay? Would such a person want to stay with you? Absolutely not. So if you treat your money badly, right, your money won't stay with you. That's why, you know, that's why when uh, you talk to people and they, you see that the people who speak the worst things about money, whether consciously or unconsciously, are the people who don't have any of it or have lack of it, or the money comes in drops, like one drop at a time. Um, and they wonder yeah. why is it like that? Like, but the truth is like, why would you, why would anybody or anything want to be with you if you say ugly things about it? So the term dating your money is like coming back and like realigning yourself to have a better relationship with your money. Um, that means speaking better about it. Um, getting to know your money more. Um, ve- being very clear about your financial standings and doing what you have to do in order to 
um, get back on track. And I'm not just talking about saving or investing. I'm talking about clearing the uh, emotional and mental trauma that you have around money, which was, I mean, 100% probably wasn't your fault. I mean, our parents didn't know any better. They maybe they came and say, why are you wasting food? Why are you wasting money? Why are you doing this? Like we were brought up with that, you know, um, negative consciousness about money. Exactly. So it's when you start. So dating your money involves you working on these limiting beliefs and they could be very glaring limiting beliefs like um, money's never around. And they could be even subtle limiting beliefs like um, I'm, I don't, you know, I want, I don't like, I want to be filthy rich, you know? And in, when you say that, you think that, oh, I'm not saying anything bad, but in actual fact is your body will never align with something that is bad. So the minute you say, I want to be filthy rich, your body's like filthy, that filthy is disgusting. That means I will try, your body will then say, I'll do everything I can to make sure that I do not engage myself with anything disgusting, whether, whether it is money or not, right? So you're literally pushing money away by saying, I want to be filthy rich or um, they will now ask you questions like, Hey, how, how's work? How's everything? And you're now like, man, I'm hustling. I'm hustling or I'm pushing it. And what by saying things like that, what you're literally saying is that money, obtaining money is hard. Um, I need to struggle. I need to push hard. I need to do extra hours before I can actually have money that makes sense. But you won't know these things until you come and you are, you are, um, conscious about these behaviors and these actions and the things that you're saying and how it directly and indirectly relates to your money. Yeah, that's a whole lot. Like a whole lot you just said. The first thing about like our mindset towards money and like this scarcity mindset and that you talked about. So I mean it's it's something that that I do too. Some of the things that you mentioned are, are things that I do too. Like in the instance of I'm scared to <laughs> check my bank balance i'm scared to check my crypto accounts i'm just like i don't keep tabs on all these things because i really don't know i i don't i don't want to scare myself but i like the how do they put it the less you know the better what you don't know or what you don't know would not kill you something like that too i'm like i don't want to know how much Mm -hmm. is there like whenever i see um um, insufficient balance okay i know that the money has finished something like that so yeah what you said is really interesting and I, it's, it's, it's something that I, I do too. So when I, I know you were not probably born with, um, all this knowledge here yeah, and all this, um, knowledge about finance and money. So when did you start to like mm-hmm. develop the consciousness? Like you said, like when you start to become conscious of these things and learn about them? All right. So, um, that's a really good question. Ah, where do I start from? <laughs> so, um, I think it, it probably started when I, like, I'm, I don't know. I'm just trying to pick a good part because there, a lot of things happened along the way that made me realize that something had to change. Um, but I would say if I were to like put a date or a period or time, I think everything started with me working on dealing with my major limiting belief. Um, and that was sometime in 2015. So, um, I couldn't, um, 2015 or 2016, around about that time. So, um, I didn't go to law school with my, um, 
my course mates. So I went a year after, um, which was, and that was a very depressing time. Um, and I couldn't go because, um, there were some financial disappointments at the time. Um, so I was so pissed and so upset, like, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? Um, this is not fair. Da 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 da. And then I just decided then and there that, hey, I'm not going, like, for, I'm not going to allow money to dictate, um, or money or the lack of it to dictate, um, my life anymore. Like, I don't want that to ever happen to me ever again. And so I, was thinking of things I could do to start making money on, on my own. Um, not necessarily to like pay law school fees or anything, but I just really wanted to, um, make a major change and be like, no, nah, money's not going to dictate how I want to live. Um, so I started yeah. with graphic design. Um, so I, I would design like every single day. I would des- I wanted to be like a, um, designer for book covers because ebooks were like really popular then. Um, so I was yeah. designing all these ebook covers, um, and putting them up on, um, my Facebook because Facebook was like the predominant social media platform at the time. Um, so one day there's this girl, she saw my work and she was like, Hey, I, I want to hire you to design, um, my logo. And I was like, Oh, awesome. Yeah, sure. I'll definitely do it. I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. Cause like that was my first ever gig. Um, so I just gave a rate. So she paid and that was the first time I got paid for, um, work online. Um, and then my sister, cause at that time while I was designing, I also started writing like, um, posts and articles. Um, and my sister was like, Oh, you, you're a really great writer. Why don't you, um, you know, start offering writing as a service that people can pay you for. At that time I was a contributor at Huffington post and I was like, Oh, I want to do that. Like that sounds really good, but I'm afraid that if I start making money from writing, I I'm afraid that the money won't be put into good use. So that was my Mm. first major limiting belief around money. And so that night my sister like gave, gave me a pep talk and she was like, Oh, you, you need to like, it doesn't really matter. What's important is that you're actually, uh, you're actually earning money from this thing and you're actually being rewarded for what you're doing. And I was like, okay. So at that point in time, I had this major mindset shift and I was like, okay, um, let me just go for it. And that was the first time unconsciously I witnessed the power of, you know, working on your money mindset. And that was just one aspect that I had, uh, that I shifted that changed the trajectory forever. In about six months, I was making like crazy money. Like in, I made a thousand dollars in three days. Um, I had clients reaching out to me. I didn't, I never promoted anything. Like I didn't promote shit. I didn't have to go and um, sign up to Fiverr or Upwork or whatever. Somehow people were just noticing me and they were just paying money. And I'll just be like, Oh, okay, here, um, pay $200 for this article and $300 for this. And I was just literally calling like huge sums of money at the time. And they were like, Oh, sure. Send me the link, this, that. So I had like an overflow of money come in. Um, and then I found myself like doing major, like, stuff in my life. But that was just, I only shifted one aspect of my money mindset. I did not know how to hold money. So the money came, it was being used for good things, and then it disappeared afterwards. Um, So fast forward to law school. Um, I came to law school and um, one day 
during externship, which is like the internship, uh, you know, period. Let me put it that way. Um, so it's like doing the practicals of law, right? So during externship, uh, my friend was like, um, you should try opening a mutual funds and stuff like that. And during that period, I had like really, I had relationship issues and I was so desperate to try and solve my relationship problems. Um, so in that desperation, I came across um, this relationship coach. I know it sounds like, how does this even relate to money? But I'm getting there. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I came sure. across this relationship coach and... I came across this relationship coach and she was talking about how to shift your mindset in order to attract your soulmate and all that. And I was like, okay, this seems really cool. Um, so I started working on those aspects of my mindset to try and solve my relationship problem. And as I was doing that and practicing the, the, um, the process and the tips and the tricks, um, I came across her twin sister. So her twin sister is also a coach, but she's a money coach. Her name is Genevieve Rackham and one of the people that I love following when it comes to money. And so I was like, okay, so I understand the relationship aspect. Let me also learn from her sister who is, who uses, um, the principles of law of attraction and money. And so from her sister, I was able to now use these same tools that I learned from relationships or bettering my, my relationship to money. And I found that there was like this, this connection between shifting your mindset, building better relationships, clearing money blocks and all those kind of things. And I sort of integrated that, all that into my life. Um, the relationship ended, by the way. So it, 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 it didn't work. <laughs> but what, yeah. what happened was that I started having like, um, it started leading me to something even better. Cause I now started growing more aware of my, of my money and my finances. So as my mindset started shifting, I started coming across, um, books and the books that the book that changed my life was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's where I got into the investment aspect, um, and understanding, um, where to put your money and uh, understanding assets and liabilities. So all these things along the way and the practical aspects, I was able to like, in, incorporated that in money. And I found myself, um, going deeper into understanding the energy or the energetics around money. And that's how I came to where I am today. That's all those are interesting. And it seems you have like, um, a long journey and an interesting story. I, I, I love stories a lot. And I, and I like people who have some, so many interesting stories to tell about what birth about certain changes or aspects in their life and that's interesting so um you you mentioned about investing so um i think um first of all because there's something i i, I wanted to tell you there's something i was talking about the other day i was kind of th thinking about like the history of money maybe like the concept of money just like from history we had like trade by butter and then we had commodity money Commodity money mm -hmm. in the sense that uh, people were using something like calories or with wheat and um, all that kind of shells as money. And then we had metallic money, maybe coins and all those mm -hmm. stuff. And then we had like paper money. We now had um, um, centralized digital money, just like our money is now like ones and zeros inside the computer. And now, presently, we have an evolving <laughs> centralized digital money in the crypto space. So... I, I I was thinking about all these things and 
and then it, it was interesting to me. I actually, my own point was to know when what the next big thing might be or what the next concept of money might be. But like, let's just center on was like mainstream right now. Crypto is mainstream right now. First of all, like I, I really like to talk about blockchain as a whole because like a lot of people have this misconception about the blockchain being crypto. So when we talk about the blockchain, people's mind just go to cryptocurrencies. And probably when we talk about cryptocurrencies, we just, people's mind just goes to um, BTC and Ethereum, just the biggest things. So I don't know if you can help us maybe break it down. What is like blockchain as a whole and where does crypto come in inside that blockchain? Okay, awesome. Um, and it's interesting you say this because like that is literally the next episode that's coming up on the Knobcast. <laughs> but um, let me just um, break it down. So I understand that it can, that cryptos, the crypto space can be a little confusing, but look at it this way. We have the, um, the mechanism, right? What's happening in the background, the, the mechanism behind, um, Bitcoin is Bitcoin or even any other cryptocurrency is like, is the blockchain. So it's like, you can't, the blockchain is not the money. It is the mechanism behind the money. Um, so the, so, and Bitcoin and Ethereum and the likes, they are the currencies. They are the, the ones that are used as medium exchange or store of value. So to describe how the, what the blockchain is and how it works is think of it this way. I, lo I love to put it in this um, simple mode. So just imagine that you have a box and inside that box, you put in all the, um, transaction information. So let's say I, I and Kelvin, we want to like, I want to give Kelvin money and, um, I want to give him like a hundred dollars. So that is information that is data that I'm putting inside our box. So I and Kelvin, we share this box. So I'm putting this information that I marry. I want to give hundred dollars to, Ke to Kelvin. And I'm putting that information in the box. Kelvin is like, yeah, I receive this hundred dollars that Mary gave me on so-and-so date. Um, and I've, I already have it in my wallet right now. And he puts that information in the box. So three months down the line, if we're like, if, if I now tell Kelvin that, Hey, Kelvin, actually I gave you $200 by accident. Can you give me the hundred dollars? Kelvin can equally easily go back to the box and like we can verify that information if it's really true and when we go to the, our our respective box we'll now see that oh according to the data that's in this box um mary only gave kelvin a hundred dollars on so-and-so date and that hundred dollars entered kelvin's wallet on so-and-so date on so-and-so time so that box is the block so now every transaction that takes place is connected with a chain of so many other other blocks that are in existence so that's why it's called the block chain right so it's just a system or what they like calling it's called a ledger like a place where all this data of our transaction is being stored so that is the mechanism behind cryptocurrencies just like the way when we go to the bank and we withdraw money that information is being stored in the bank's database but this time with um cryptocurrency that database is not made 
is not centralized. It's not within one person's control. It is now open to the public for people to know that, hey, this, these transactions took place. Um, it may not show your name. Um, but it shows that, hey, this, these particular transactions took place. And that's the beauty about, um, blockchain is because it keeps everything transparent. And if I and Kelvin have a problem with money, we can always go back to the blockchain to verify, um, the data that we was stored on the blockchain to be sure, um, when the transaction took place and how much was exchanged. So that is the blockchain. Um, so I love describing it that way. So when you have that picture in your mind, you know that every single transaction that took place in the crypto space is being stored in these small blocks. And one thing about these blocks is that you can't go and remove um, the data that was inside a block. If you, you can't alter the data as well, because any, anything done to the data, it is recorded at, in the blockchain as well. So there's no way you can escape. But in the bank, like you can go to the bank and the teller could one, could make a mistake and write 200 Nara instead of 300. And there's no way you can verify that there was a problem or there was a mistake anywhere. Um, you, probably you'll just be like, ah, these bank people again. Um, uh, maybe it was all these deductions. Like there's no way you can verify that information. But with the blockchain, you can always verify the information. That's why it's a lot, um, it's a lot more secure than what we have in the centralized space. That is the space that is controlled by the banks and the central bank. Um, so the blockchain literally like runs on its own. So it's self-governed. It's, um, it is, uh, safe and people can't alter the information in there. And it is, it also helps protect your privacy. So although we know other people can see like um, the transactions, like we don't know the people behind it. Um, so it keeps us all on um, anonymous, um, which is great. Uh, so that is basically the mechanism behind um, the cryptocurrencies itself. So we have different type of cryptocurrencies in existence right now. The, mo the very popular ones are um, Bitcoin, and Ethereum. So Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, although they are similar in terms of it being like a, can be a sort of value or, um, you know, an investment means, um, they have like different, um, how do I put it? So Bitcoin was created for the purpose of, of ensuring financial independence or rather financial freedom. Um, you, you are, independent from the control of the central of the centralized system that is um, central bank and um the ba the banking system or the government um which makes it like that you know it's not like here like for example we've heard a lot of um cases happening in nigeria where the central bank comes in freezes your account um because they can identify you they know that you are connected to a specific set of numbers, which is your BVN. Um, and so they could just, whatever, um, whatever account that's attached to your BVN, they could come and close it or freeze your account. But with the um, decentralized space, there's nobody, because it's not being controlled by a central body, there's no way the government or anybody can go in and close your crypto accounts. Um, so it gives you that sense of independence. Um, and, and also financial autonomy. So, but with Ethereum, so Ethereum is a little different. 
um, Ethereum makes use of what we call smart contracts. So um, these smart contracts, they're like, how do I put it? It all the data, um, like the exchange, whatever it was exchange is written in that that digital contracts, and it it is like it self executes. So that makes it a little different from um, Bitcoin because Bitcoin doesn't have a smart contract. It works basically with the blockchain. Um, but Ethereum, it has, it works with the blockchain, but it makes use of um, smart contracts instead. So, and then we also have several other coins. Um, so each coin, usually each coin is created with a specific project or a purpose in mind. Um, so, for example, I don't know. Are you are you familiar with the Brave browser? So with the Brave browser, um, they have a specific coin. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, yeah, I was sure, asking. Browser, okay, yeah, sure. so with so the Brave browser, the I don't know if anyone has used it. It's very different from Chrome. So with the Brave browser, you can be watching YouTube and you won't even see a single ad um, because they feel. Yeah. It was created for the purpose of um, getting, of having people to also benefit from, benefit from the returns that people make from ads, right? They also wanted, like, I'm here, I'm watching this ad, and um, people, there's people paid for this ad, but I also want to have my share out of watching this ad as well because you guys are taking my time, right? So Brave was created mm-hmm. for, like, they have this um, coin called BET. Or BET, is yeah. it BET or BAT? I can't really remember. But, but the, yeah, ma- the aim or the behind the coin is to ensure that people... Okay, so the aim behind the coin is to ensure that people... Um, one, privacy. Then two, that people get like... To get literally benefit from the ads that are being put up there, right? So that's a, a project associated with the, the cryptocurrency. Um, we have Cardano that's more into, um, you know, um, it's more into like being environmentally friendly to be more into like um, helping the society. So every single um, cryptocurrency has its project behind it. Um, so the reason why people invest in all these different type of cryptocurrencies more often or like, the best way to invest is literally to go for coins um, that have a project or an ideal that you believe in. Um, but we also have meme coins or and we have meme coins that actually have no um, underlying project like Dogecoin or Shiba Inu. They were just created to mock the um, mock Bitcoin um, and they don't they don't have like a fixed they don't have um, so they have unlimited value um, and they're extremely volatile. So what I'm trying to say in essence is there is a mechanism behind all these coins. Um, and the reason why people go after certain coins is because of the projects or the purpose that these coins are associated with. Um, so if you're to, again, like just to recap, if you're to like, if you hear the word blockchain, just know that it's the technology behind, um, behind the coin, but not the coin itself. Those are like two different things. I know I kind of went like all over the place, but like <laughs> it's really important mm-hmm. to have like this understanding of how they all place together. You you, you really gave you you really uh, made it 
intuitive. I think he's like explaining like I'm five. So I think a five-year-old might <laughs> and grab the concept of what a blockchain is and what it does. So yeah, you really made it quite intuitive for anybody. So anybody could listen to this and, and understand it. So currently, awesome. Currently, apart from, you know, like for some people are probably not interested in blockchain right now or the crypto space because they just feel like um, it's all about money or something. But I, um, I think a lot of people don't understand that the blockchain is is beyond just like making money or doing stuff. Then, but there are a lot of things that can be done with the blockchain as well. So I I don't know if you can you know talk about things because you write about um, finance and blockchain and you probably know some key aspect about this space. Do, what what do you think are other things that can go on in the blockchain or things that can be done with the blockchain that just not just involve like maybe investing or making money i guess oh okay that's a really good question so a lot of things have been happening recently and um one of the things that's like literally mainstream now is nfts um so for those who don't know nft stands for non-fungible token um so what it actually means is uh, let me put it give it another illustration so you know how um if we were to bring if I if Kelvin have has one dollar and I have one dollar, my one dollar and Kelvin's one dollar are the same, right? They have the same value. They're literally the same. So that is what that is what we term fungible. So something that is non-fungible is the value of Kevin's one dollar is different from the value of my own one dollar. So with non-fungible tokens how it works is it could be a graphic, it could be an audio, it could be any creative thing. And the value of that item, it is different from the value of its copy. So if Kelvin, like for example, okay, so this is a podcast episode. So the podcast episode, if we were, we could turn it into an NFT because we have audios that could be made into NFTs. So this podcast episode is valued at, I don't know, let's say, let's say five Ethereum. Okay. Um, so if this podcast episode is valued at five Ethereum, if someone goes and copies this podcast and sells it, the value of the copy is less than the value of the original. They are both the same which they will, you will hear the same audio, the same content, but the copy will be valued less than the original itself. So even if though it's the same thing, because one is the original, the other one's a copy, we are, we say that they are fun, they're non-fungible. So if we now associate that with art, um, someone drew a picture of the sun. If I now have five different pictures of the sun, the first ever picture or version of that sun, it will definitely be more valuable than the remaining copies. Um, so. Why would NFT like what? Why should I be interested in, in, in an NFT anyway? So, one thing about NFTs is that um, they're literally the future. I know we probably heard this a lot, like oh, this is the future. But like, think of it this way: um, as an artist, if you have your um, art 
put up in, as an NFT, you're literally protecting the intellectual property of your art. And unlike other artists that will probably put up a painting or a photo and then they don't get royalties when that um, painting or photos turn into a into a watercolor or into a um, mural or into into a mug when all those when that original art is not like credited um, financially or not given royalties the artist literally misses out but through nft the artist is continuously rewarded for the art that he has created and i think it's a really nice way because um i would i believe that artists are hugely underrated underrated and i'm very happy that nfts have come out because now artists can literally have full value of their work um so well, how how do these artists continuously have their royalties well remember i mentioned something about smart contracts um yeah so because so if you have an art piece that is an nft um and someone bought the art piece um and that person now sells the art piece to another all you see all this data the buying the selling the reselling all those data is being stored in a smart contract so no matter what, the smart contact will always acknowledge the original artist. So after every sale, the artist gets um, compensation com or a rather a commission from every sale because he is the original artist. Um, wow. So we have like different sorts of different types of NFTs out there. So we may, you may be scrolling through um, Twitter and you see all these, you know, weird or interesting art pieces. And you're like, why are people so... Um, so devoted so committed to this it's because so that increases the value of the art really you see when you have most of these art pieces or nfts they all have like a community behind them um and that actually helps increase the value of the art piece so think of it like this you can literally say i am a um i am a huge da vinci fan and like being a huge da vinci fan you can like literally have all his um pieces or a van gogh fan you can have all his pieces so think of it that way so i if i who i know you said it shouldn't be it should be like outside investment but think of it this way if i am a an art collector um what kind of art would i go after won't yeah. i go after an art that has this amazing community behind it because i know that over time this art piece is going to blow up because the community is literally fueling the interest behind the art. So it's just an amazing, um, interesting space. And it's now taking different forms and different dimensions. Um, for example, um, a day will come if that is, if it's not already here yet, um, where your, um, uh, you know, when you buy, buy land, you're given CFO. So imagine if your land titles, was an nft you know what that sure. means that nobody can come and fake nobody can come and fake your land titles anymore because it's already you know it's in the the it's in a um, smart contracts and all in uh, recorded in the blockchain no one can come and alter the data in there that makes it even more secure than even having like um a a physical document saying that i'm the owner of this land um a day will come when your your university certificate will be an nft um why because like okay you know i have people who fake uh certificates or um fake their credentials now because if your university um 
certificate is an NFT, um, nobody will be able to fake that because everything is recorded in the blockchain. Um, so it's just an amazing, interesting thing um, that we have right now. So another thing that involves like blockchain, smart contracts, um, there's also like digital land. Uh, so like imagine buying a piece of land in the metaverse. Um, so we're hearing this term metaverse now that's like um, mainstream. And metaverse really is like um, the digital, like a digital world, right? So imagine buying land in a digital yeah. world and um, you're now like the owner of that piece of land. And you will now be like, why would I own land in a digital world? So as more people and more things become more digital, we start spending more time and it's already happening. We spend more time on our phones. We spend more time on social media. Yeah, we don't even yeah. have to go and see our friend physically anymore. We can just video call them. So we're literally spending more and more time in the digital space. Then why not have a piece of land in the digital space where you can have maybe a s online cinema and your, you and your friends could go and watch a film together virtually um, in that space. So it might sound a little strange, but I know that when people come back to this podcast, maybe, you know, three, four or five years later, they'll now begin to understand that, hey, um, this thing actually is actually happening. So that's so now the 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 importance of knowing this early is that when you the people who make it the biggest are those who go in early that thing happened with with bitcoin um when bitcoin was very very yeah. cheap now now it's around like 50 something thousand um when bitcoin was very very cheap those who who bought a lot of bitcoin back then um are now ma have like made hundreds and thousands of percent on top of their um, Bitcoin earnings. So just the same way, because all these things are just coming up, it's, it's a great time to start exploring and going into all these things because by the time it is now fully developed and everybody's in it, like it might be too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those are really, really interesting points. And then you brought up something again the concept of um I, I, I like um the NFT talk because it's something you talked about that I did not know before. I did not know that as people keep reselling a certain piece of work that the original artist get and gets incentives. I didn't know that. And you talked about the metaverse. And the metaverse is something that some listeners have asked me to talk about, but I think you were able to talk about that. And then you talked about um, owning land in the metaverse so people who buy land in the metaverse would they get a commission if people want to probably imagine i you know i'm i i, I log into the metaverse and i want to build like a virtual house or something i would have to pay for land space to the original owner of that land just as it is done in real life yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it's just so you just buy land and then start building. Um, so like it's, it's already developing, right? It's, it's gradually, gradually developing and it's turning into something. So we don't even know how far it could go, but think of it this way. Um, you own two plots of land in the metaverse and you decided to build a house in one. And then you're like in that house, I have um, three rooms that I want to give out for rent. So as the metaverse now develops and more people are like 
using are now part of the metaverse, a time will come when they have to play, have a place virtually to lodge because yeah. you know how it is. Yeah. You know how it is like right now our minds. Okay. For example, if you go back in time, so I've been using social media for a long time, right? Like I, I have used, um, high five. I've used Bebo. I've used MySpace, and uh, one thing about those social media platforms, or the continuous use of social media, or what the continuous use of social media platforms do does for you, is that you start to your mind starts to associate this um, online space as I wouldn't. I don't want to use the word reality, but as a convenient way to. Um, get in touch with something that's like get in touch with someone. For example, now you have great internet connection. It's like, it's a no brainer to do a video call with a friend instead of, you know, going to physically get like, leave your house and going to meet them. Right. Cause I mean, some, there's some days you're like, I can't even bother to leaving my house. Um, so a time will come when in the virtual space, it won't make sense for you to stand outside, you know, in a virtual space, just be standing there. Right sociologically or psych and psychologically you just be like hey i need to lodge somewhere and then your virtual house could be the best place for that person to lodge so just the same way that they will um they'll pay for like an airbnb so they'll go to your house and pay you for, you for the room and and then they stay there and then you could be like hey i offer um virtual breakfast and you make a virtual breakfast and they pay you for the virtual breakfast so it's like Gradually, gradually, you're starting to associate like normal life in this virtual space. Like I said, it might not make sense now, but like it could that you could take it that far. You can even be like, hey, I want to sell this house and you can sell that virtual house to buy another house somewhere else. And then you can even sell it, make a profit and then, you know, like turn it into whatever you like. <laughs> so it's just like I said, it, it can go to it can be expanded. It could be like the the possibilities are just endless yeah yeah and i know that these are just like early stages here and people might be like oh would all these be possible what would people need all these things for but like i think it was um gary Chev gary chevernock or gary vaynerchuk that was saying this thing he was like uh people do you know the the amount of weight that people put on social validation on things like um, a blue check mark on Instagram or a blue check mark on Twitter, like a verified mark on Twitter or Instagram is a lot. So we, ha we, we have like so much, um, we take social validation and like virtual validation as a big thing because a verification mark does not mean anything in real life, but it's a lot on, on, on platforms. So, so when people see all these things, they, they say, oh, why do we need so much stuff? Why do we pay so much attention to all this virtual stuff? But like people actually pay attention to these things. And um, because we are not just like, we, we are not paying attention to it in the sense that, in the sense that we don't see that people actually see these things as really big stuff. And, you know, as time goes on, what is happening in the social space like the virtual space is what might become more important. Yes. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about a little, I want to talk a little bit about you. So I, <laughs> okay. I, I heard that you, you, um, 
you are Filipino, yeah? And um, and you said that you actually was more involved in Philippines culture that more than Nigerian when you were growing up. So how, how was that like? Did you grow up in Nigeria or, or like, or how, or you got your own Philippine culture here in Nigeria? Wow. Um, well, so I am, I am half Filipino. My mom is a Filipino and, um, I wasn't born in Nigeria. Um, so I think I didn't really know much about Nigeria because my dad is not a traditional person. Um, and which is something I actually, I mean, I don't get me wrong, but it's something that I actually appreciate my dad for because, um, his, his openness to different cultures was a great influence for myself and my sister when we were growing up because we were able to like open ourselves up to other cultures as well. Um, I am half Filipino. Um, we had a lot of Filipinos around us when we were growing up. So like I learned like the Filipino tradition. So uh, I know like all the cultural stuff they have to do to elders and things like that, eat the food. Um, I've eaten rice with my hands, which is a traditional way of eating rice. Um, yeah. So, um, and that's because I had like, my dad was very open to, you know, us mixing. My closest friends were Indonesian, uh, Egyptian, um, I, I mean, Taiwanese. Um, and we had, they always encouraged um, I and my sister to like uh, mix with other people. And so I was even educated in, in um, an international school, which, you know, made it even more interesting because I got to see like a lot of kids from different countries and relate to them. And um, one thing about international school is that cultural day is like so important. So people will come with their cultural attires and stuff. And um, I got, and one thing about me is I love um, getting to know people and getting to know about um, who they're like, what they're about, their, their, what their culture is like and stuff like that. So that also helped like influence mine. Um, I was born in Turkey. Um, so like I had a lot of, you know, Turkish, Middle Eastern influence as well. Um, so I could, be listening to Arabic music and I'm like, oh, this feels like home. Um, so yeah, it's just literally me being born in, in this space where I could mix with a lot of people from different cultures and also having family, like my parents who were very open to us mixing with other people. And, um, they also mixed with other people as well. So they were like a living example to, um, adopting all these different cultures and, and stuff. So, um, my dad was also very particular about creating your own culture. So the way I and my sister were, were, we were raised is so different from other people. Um, and it is, we can't, so we can't, if you're to ask me, okay, how much of it had the Nigerian influence or how much of it has the Filipino influence? It's very hard to say, right? Because my parents were like, Hey, let us just independently think of how we would like to raise these kids and what kind of traditions or cultures that we would like to have. Right. So it's just, they, because that's how my parents were. They weren't fixed on a culture or tradition. They were very, and that's helped us become more open-minded um, when it came to like meeting people from different places. 
Um, in fact, I didn't get to know much about Nigeria until I came here. So we had to learn the national anthem. We had to learn a lot of all these other things. We had to learn about um, the different cultures. So when I was in um, uni, we have this um, uh, compulsory course called um, GNS. So in 200 level, they had this book about Lagos and its environs. And I literally read that big, that big book. And I now have an idea. When I read the book, I was like, oh, no wonder my classmate acts like this. Cause they live in, they're from, you know, Ikeja, they're from Ikorodu. Like that's how they're like. So, okay, it now makes sense. So it was very easy for me to, um, understand all these different cultures because I already had the foundation that my parents laid down for me. I just, and I, please, it's not, it doesn't mean that, oh, it's only kids that move to, move to or live outside Nigeria that have to this kind of experience. <laughs> no, because yeah, sure. I can tell you for a fact, I've met some mixed Nigerians. Like I've met Nigerian Turkish. I've met Nigerian British. I've met Nigerian, um, you know, Nigerian Germans. And like, I could tell you for a fact that they weren't like us, right? They weren't like I and my sister. Yeah. Like you could literally tell that, oh my gosh, these guys are like real full on Nigerians or like, why are they behaving this way? It's just so weird. And it's, so it's not because they were brought up in another country. Literally, it's like, I, I would associate my upbringing or my exposure to my parents being the kind of people who were, were like not fixed on a particular culture or, you know, yeah. Yeah. Or they weren't like, oh, it has to be this way. They were very open to creating their own kind of culture because they understood that, hey, they're different, right? Um, like it's not, it won't, like they're just not fully attached to one way or another. So my mom is Filipino, but there's some things that maybe a Filipino would do that she'll just be like, ah, oh, what that type of nonsense is this? Mm-mm-mm, we won't do that. Uh, or my dad too, he'll just be like, ah, oh, these Nigerian self, Mm-mm-mm, we won't do this. So they literally created their own culture for us and that helped us adapt. Yeah. Yeah. So did, did, um, I mean, I mean, when you came to Nigeria, did you like integrate easily? Did you find it hard to like, um, understand people and like the culture here? Oh my gosh. So when I first came to Nigeria, it was, um, it was shocking. Cause I didn't expect it. Like I had a picture of Niger in my head. Right. Um, and it, it didn't, it didn't look like the way I had imagined it. Um, we, so personally, like me, like for me, I, I love, I love people. Right. I just, I'm just this people person. I just love people. Um, so I was intrigued by, um, the different kind of people that are in Nigeria. I had no idea that there was anything like a tribe. So it was interesting to like, um, get to, know more about how things work here um it was a little bit difficult to integrate in the beginning because um nigerians also have like a they have a preconceived belief around um kids who come from abroad right um i didn't understand that at first until later on when i started like you know doing my inner reflections um a lot of nigerians um believe that when you are mixed or you're white, there's a particular way you behave. You probably judge us Africans, you know, it's like, sometimes they'll even say things like, why, why are you even here? You know, this place is like, this place is terrible. It's a, you know, it's a shithole. I, I mean, if I were you, I wouldn't even come to Nigeria. Um, 
And so it was, it was a little difficult because they had this preconceived notion of how, of what, like, of, um, how mixed kids were like. They saw mixed kids as people who are, um, very saucy, who think, who see themselves as like, um, the next best thing who see themselves almost near to royalty. So that's what they thought like mix. That's how they think mix, mixed kids are like. Um, I know some people are like, nah, that's not true. But like really literally deep down, they'll just be like, Oh, you don't have any problem. You know, you're like, you're mixed. You, you have another passport. You can go anywhere you want to. Da, da, da. But, um, and so we, I and my sister, we had a lot to do. Um, we had, we had a lot of work to do to like, um, literally, break through that bias um it, it was later on when people like when i mean because we just remained ourselves right we just i mean i was just myself i was just you know my normal cheerful <laughs> um weird yeah. self and they just realized that hey these these people they don't they don't fit our uh, our bias about um mixed kids they're very different um and so when they when they drop those like bias at the door and they start to get to know us a little, a little better, um, it was really easy to integrate. So, but like the major issue that, um, I, I, I had personally was like literally breaking through that bias, um, which wasn't so difficult. Um, but like it was glaring nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah. So um, those are interesting things, and it, it was nice to like hear about how you integrated because there's there's this um, thing in Nigeria about you know people coming from abroad, there's certain expectation and uh, kind of view of them in like the Nigerian space. So it's interesting that you talked about that. So I I have like three questions. One thing I'm I want to ask is like for people who are listening right now. And they probably want to, they don't really have much knowledge about this crypto uh, stuff, like, because it's confusing to them. Where do I start from? Do you have, like, a go-to place for them? Like, just go check this thing out if you are confused and, like, okay, this is where you can start your own investment journey in cryptos too. That is, like, a really simple thing for them to, like, use or, or, or learn from. Oh, okay, awesome. That's a really good question. So, um... I personally, I'm, I'm very risk averse and I'm a little wary about trying different type of technology. I know that I'm in, I've been into like technology for a long time, but when it comes to things that relate to like money and stuff, like I, I get a little bit, um, apprehensive. So, um, but what I did notice when I got fully into the crypto space is that you need to just find a simple platform that makes it really easy for you to acclimatize with the technology, right? Because you can't, the only way you're going to learn about cryptocurrencies is if you own one. If you go through the process of downloading an app or registering, buying, you know, your first crypto, selling your first crypto, sending your first crypto to a friend, receiving your first crypto, that's the only way you actually learn um, very well. Um, so, but for me, what made it really easy for me, I would say, okay, so, um, is using a simple app. Um, I downloaded Luno, I downloaded Quidax. Um, but what made it really, what made getting into crypto easy for me was when I downloaded Bitnob. 
So BitNob is um, an app that allows you to invest and save in Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> but the reason why I found, I just found that this app so, so easy to use. And I'm not saying this because like I'm the host of the Knobcast or I work for BitNob, right? Like this is way before I started, you know, being a part of um, the BitNob team. I just, I saw how easy this app was from the funding to, you know, the sending to the receiving, um, to the saving, to the creating of plans. It was just so easy for me. And because when the platform is easy for you to use, you be, you are more encouraged to use it. And the more you use it, the more you learn about how it works. Um, so start with a very simple platform. So for me, BitNob was like the easiest platform to, to use. Um, Another thing that you could do is to listen to um, podcasts. So if you're like an auditory learner, um, maybe listening to a podcast could be helpful, like listening to conversations or stories about people who um, started using the using cryptocurrencies from their own perspective and just hearing it, hearing people talk about it actually helps you know a little more about um, about how they work. So a friend of mine, so when I was, um, so I'm the host of the Knobcast, right? So it's a Bitcoin uh, focused podcast. And um, a friend of mine reached out to me and she said that, oh, I really enjoyed listening to the past couple of episodes of the Knobcast because I know nothing about cryptocurrency. I know nothing about Bitcoin. But the more I listened to you guys, uh, you and your guests speak, the more it started making sense to me. It's like with every episode, I feel more confident and more encouraged to use Bitcoin and to try it out for myself. So that is a, that is some, that is um, something that a friend told me. So maybe like going listening to podcasts could be your way of learning more about um bitcoin or other cryptocurrency so for me i of course i'll recommend the knobcast um and what's beautiful about that podcast is that we we it was spe specifically tailored for africans so we're looking at um bitcoin from the african pers perspective and how people in africa use bitcoin so it's like it's very different from you listening to how the americans use bitcoin or the british people use bitcoin um, where now this podcast allows you to just hear it from the African perspective. Um, so it's a fairly new podcast. So it's like you don't have so many episodes to catch up with. We're going to release the fifth episode next week. Um, so like you can just start listening from episode one all the way to the episodes that we have so far. And you could just use that like a sort of like a mini course. So like every week, learn, write down what you learn, share your knowledge with or the little tidbits you were able to gain on Twitter. So like Twitter is a great place where you can also learn about um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. Um, that's where I learned a lot of my knowledge on, on um, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. I met a friend, I made friends with someone. Um, he was on my podcast episode. Um, his name is TK. We call him uh, TK. <laughs> so TK was the one who um, like told me about Cardano and how it works and I had him on my podcast where we spoke about Cardano, NFTs, and DeFi. Um, so it was during our conversation on a Twitter space that I started learning about Cardano and I learned how to invest in my first Cardano. Um, so like literally engaging with people on Twitter really helped a lot. Then the next um, resource is 
um, Twitter spaces. So I, you might feel like, oh, this is a lot of information. Like, I don't know anything about um, cryptocurrency. I don't even know where to start. How will I contribute in these discussions? So the truth is that when you are in the midst of people talking about these things a lot, you tend to pick up on things. Um, and, you know, one thing I really love about the, um, the tech space generally is that if you have a question, no matter how stupid the question is, you can always ask um, this question and people will be happy to help you. Um, so one beautiful thing about the crypto space also is that they are very accommodating for the newbies um, because they know that this is very new. It takes time for us to know about um, about the crypto space and they're, everyone in the crypto space is open to you know, strengthening the ecosystem. And one of the ways to strengthen the ecosystem is to make this information available to people. So like join Twitter spaces, um, ask questions. There will always be somebody who will explain and even like they will even follow you, send you a DM and make sure that you understand this thing. Um, so like I feel that it's a lot easier to learn from people like through interacting with people because when you learn through interacting with people it's the information sticks um so like that's those so those are the resources that i would recommend um some people like to go like real heavy learn you know how you know get a course or all that stuff there's nothing wrong about getting a course but you know when you start thinking of oh i need to you know sign up to this course it it gives you like school vibes you know like oh geez i don't want to go to school again you know, I'm done with that shit. Um, but like when you're like asking a friend or asking someone online, like, could you please explain what, what the blockchain means? Um, they'll be happy to explain to you. And it's like your friend telling you what something is or explaining something to you. So yeah, those are the, um, resources that I would recommend. Yeah, sure. Those are really um, interesting things. And I, I hope that people pick on that and act on them as well. So my second question is for you right now. I know we, we talked about a lot of things, so I, I don't know if there's something we missed in our conversation or there's something you want to talk about or there's something you want to say to my audience or something you want to like inform people about. I, I want you to say that thing or we talk about it. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and thank you for that. So I wouldn't, I don't think we missed anything, but I just really want to re-emphasize the aspect about um, working on your money mindset. Like you can do all the right things, right? Because, okay, let's just be honest, right? Our generation, like we want to have money, right? Like I think we're even more ambitious when it comes to money than, you know, yeah, <laughs> our true. fathers and forefathers, right? We want yeah, to yeah. have this money, we want to live a comfortable life. Uh, most of us don't want to do a nine to five anymore. Um, we want to start driving good cars. We're tired of, you know, always complaining about bills. Um, and so... And then we have some of us too who are, who work very hard because they want a really good life. Um, they work very hard and, but they're not making any money. They're broke before the month ends. Like some of them are like, I'm so tired of borrowing from people. Um, and the, 
the way you can solve this problem that's if you're there, the way that you can solve this problem is by working on your money mindset. And it says, like, I, you know, I used to do really like crazy shit to work on my money mindset. When I was in, when I was doing my NYSC, you know, you know, those khaki now, like you have pockets yeah, in, sure. in the, you have pockets mm-hmm. on your legs, like close to your ankle, right? You have that lower pocket. So I used to put a thousand naira inside that pocket. And when I get off the bus, um, around, so for the, those who are like in Lagos, you probably know what I'm talking about. When you, you know, like when you're coming from, you know, that, that bus where I think where that, that space where a giga bus stops and you just walk down, you know, computer village. I used to walk down that, that road and just imagine myself buying stuff stuff with the 1000 naira in my pocket and i'll just go and be like oh i can buy that book oh i could buy this jewelry oh i could buy this so i was literally mentally buying mentally shopping right (laughs) yeah sure um and it sounds crazy but the more i did it the more i felt more empowered about um about the more i felt more empowered in the area of finances i didn't have all that money to buy all the things that I was imagining myself buying as I was walking down the street. But this practice alone make me, made me more conscious about um, how powerful I can be and that um, I, I have what it takes to buy these stuff, right? And that's like a really great money practice. So what I'm trying to say in essence is that I had to practice and practice and practice and work on my money mindset like every single day. Like, can I, am I, am I like, I'm, am I like, like, are there times in my life right now that I get scared that I am investing or scared of putting money somewhere? Yes. There are times when I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to make this payment like shit that's a lot of money like oh my gosh it's another time so i buy shares like there's a certain amount of money that i'm committed to when i'm buying shares and like yo with the dollar like the naira to dollar rates it i mean it became six figures you know instead of like five yeah. figures now it's like six figures i'm like oh my gosh like i'm always afraid like oh my gosh will like this bank shut down my account because this is a lot of money like mo- like Am I okay? I still get those fears. Um, so I'm not perfect. I still get those fears, but every time I get them, I work on it and I, I work on those money beliefs. So many of us are just sitting down and we're like, Oh, I want the money to come. Um, many of us work hours and hours and are like, oh, why isn't this money coming? And the, but I just want to like let people know that when you start working on your money mindset and it's, it's easy. Right, it's easy to work on it. The first thing you need to do is to identify the limiting belief, right? So, for example, for the longest time, my major limiting belief in my business was, oh, these um, foreigners, they won't like my payment system because it's not easy. It's not as easy as using PayPal. You know, PayPal doesn't work in Nigeria. Um, It it only works one way. So, exactly. So, like, and I didn't want to have to, like, you know, go through the back door and all that. Cause I was like, man, that thing is not safe. So I, I used to feel very bad when I gave out my like flutter wave link for people to pay me. And I'll just be like, ah, oh, this is my, my clients are going to so like 
feel like they'll be turned off working with me because um, I'm using Flutterwave instead of, of using PayPal. And that was like a huge um, limiting belief for me. But the minute I was like, what? Like, are you out of your mind? Um, I started working on my limiting belief and I started telling myself that, look, my clients want to work with me, even if, and even if they have to, you know, like they're willing to go to any length to make sure that I get paid. The more I kept telling myself this and the more I started working on my mindset around this, um, I started getting more clients and that was it. Like I didn't promote, like I didn't increase my promotions. Nope. I wasn't promoting shit. Um, I, I didn't use any ads. I didn't work harder. In fact, I worked lesser hours on my business and people just like reached out to me and be like, Hey, um, I heard you were doing this. Uh, I'd like to hire you. And it was all because I shifted that limiting belief. So like, ask yourself right now, like, what is, what is that thought or what's that belief that is um, preventing you from earning more money? Is it that you're afraid that um, you're going to spend your money on sh some dumb shit? Work on that belief. Do you feel like, oh, if I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be arrogant um, because there are some people who don't want to be rich because they don't, they believe that rich people are bad, then change that belief and be like, Hey, even if all the rich people are bad, I will be the first good rich person. Um, and so just shift that belief. And the best way to shift the belief is literally call yourself, like call, like call out that bullshit, like tell yourself that, Hey, that thought that I had is utter bullshit. And the, the minute you start, um, calling yourself out on your bullshit, you now replace that limiting belief with a positive one and keep reminding yourself until you tell yourself that, hey, this is actually true. Um, and that's how you're going to shift your belief. And trust me when I say this, because this thing has happened over and over and over and over and over again. When you shift your limiting beliefs, you start seeing money flowing in. It, it, it won't make any sense. You'll go to the bus You'll go to the bus stop. Someone you've never met before will be like, Hey, let me pay for your bus fare. Don't worry about it. Or you, you're hungry. And before you're even like, oh, let me go and buy something. Someone will be like, Hey, I brought lunch for you. Like you start seeing these little changes, these little things happen because simply because you shifted your mindset. Um, you shifted that belief. You shifted the negative energy around money. Um, that's why I tell you people to date their money because I mean, you like this relationship is continuous. It's not, it's not going to end, end until you no, die. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. So that's just it. Yep. I, 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 I'm glad I asked that question. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you commented, um, you commented and, um, you talked about all these things. So one question that I like to ask before I end the conversation on the podcast is, <laughs> is a weird question, but I like everybody gets, I like to weird questions. Question. Podcast. I like so, I like weird questions. What is the meaning of life? Wow, that's that's deep shit right there. Um, what is the meaning of life? Okay, so my perspective of life, especially a good life, is one where you are at peace with yourself, and you don't have to do, be, or say anything in order to enjoy what is good and in order to enjoy 
um, you know, literally being, literally existing. Um, so what do I mean by this? Um, most times when you talk to people, cause I talk to people a lot. Most times when you talk to people, they say that life is, um, life is hard. Like, oh, it's all about, you know, adulting. Like this is just how we add adult, right? We have, we enjoy our youth. And then by the time we hit the workforce, it's all hustle, hustle. Um, it's all suffering, going to pay bills, going to, life is just going to suck until we are old and we die. Right. But I believe that life, the meaning of life should be more than that. It should be more of enjoying and being happy and being at peace just simply by existing. Um, so that's what life means to me. Just literally enjoying and being happy and like literally being at peace with who you are and what you have to offer in this world. Um, so I'm a great advocate for you can be abundant or you can live an abundant life um, doing the stuff that you love. Um, and it, the stuff that you love could be as crazy as um, collecting shoes or as crazy as tasting wine or as crazy <laughs> as like um, collecting old phones and talking about them, like whatever it, and that's why I'm a huge fan of social media because they make this kind of life or my definition of life so much easier to do. If you could like, you could be interested in art or you can be interested in coding or whatever it is. And um, put it up the, out there in social media and literally enjoy who you are uh, as like who you are, your authentic true self, just by being you. Yeah. So that's what life means to me. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's it's really nice to hear your perspective and um, it's great to hear your own thoughts. I like to ask this question because I like to know how people think. And then I just feel like if you ask this kind of existential questions, you can really capture people's mind frames and yep that is all my questions and i really had a nice time on this podcast i learned a lot of things you know some people you know there are some episodes where i talk with people and i i don't really learn much basically it's because maybe i already i'm already familiar with what they're talking about or it's just like the boring stuff to me but like i really <laughs> enjoy this episode and i learned a lot of new things and i do hope that a lot of other people learned a few things as well so if if you want to talk about where people can find you on social media i'll also add your links to the description sure but like if you want to talk about that as well you could also do that awesome so you can find me on um twitter i'm using twitter more now um so but you can get to see how I live my life and my, my perspective in life. Um, you could get more of that on Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram at Mary underscore Imaswen, that's at M A R Y underscore I M A S U E N. Um, you can get to see my Instagram stories and I put there like what I do in my day to day. Um, you get to see work processes, uh, what's on my mind. And then, yeah, so those two basic places. So if you want to um, hang out and chat with me. You can talk to me on Twitter, same handle, M-A-R-Y underscore I-M-A-S-U-E-N. Or if you want to see my life, what I do, um, how I run my life, my business, my work, um, you can check me out on Instagram as well. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, sure, definitely. Thanks for giving us that information. I I know this was a really long talk, so something I'm going to do is that I'm going to put timestamps to help listeners in their listening. So, um, so I, it was really nice talking with you. I had an amazing time. I learned a lot of new things, and I really hope that we can do this again in another time in the future. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward Thank to it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for the yeah, opportunity. Sure. Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the end. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Follow me if you're new. Subscribe if you're new. And um, don't forget about my AMA episode. Ask your questions on hintedneuron.com slash ask. Anything at all, just feel free to ask me and I'll answer them on that episode. That's it for me this week and on today and stay curious.